When a young man is house-sitting for his parents, he has no idea that a disturbing secret is just a VHS tape away. And then we travel to the West Coast. Yeah, dude. But we're not out here to surf. We're not out here to pick up on some California girls. We're here to explore the maze of tunnels that lie underneath the state of California. Is it possible that this unending network of catacombs may actually spell doom for the entire West Coast? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are staying warm. These last few episodes, I have not needed to run an air conditioner for 20 minutes before I step into this closet. Um, I'm doing quite fine, and pretty soon I'm going to spend 30 episodes talking about how cold it is. But someone who I will never complain about walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Give it up for one of our legacy Patreon supporters, Christian. Woohoo! Yeah, come on in, Christian. Christian D, to be specific. Christian, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally get it. I Trust me, I do. There's a lot of people that I love out there that I don't support financially. But what I do is I make sure I tell people about them because that is another way to support the show. I'm a huge fan of Omrecker. I talk about him all the time on this paranormal podcast. I've mentioned him a dozen times. He's my favorite streamer. He does Dead by Daylight streams and horror video game streams on YouTube. So there you go. Like that's how that's how easy it was. All you have to do is start a podcast and mention me. Christian, let's go ahead and toss you the bunny bicycle. Let's hop on the handlebars and he's gonna pedal us all the way out to a suburban house. Put that Yu-Gi-Oh card in the spokes. Riding on out to this house in the middle of the suburbs. In this house, we're going to meet a young man. He didn't post his name. Online, he goes by the name. And I think this was a throwaway username he set up. But he goes by extremely confused123. I think it was just a throwaway. We're going to go ahead and call you Bobby. Bobby, he was born with only one arm. Which is fine, right? I think if you're born missing a limb, it's actually pretty easy for you to get used to it. Bobby is house-sitting for his parents. They're away on vacation, and they said, Hey, can you feed the animals and, you know, make sure nobody breaks into the house? In that order. First off, make sure our animals are fat. Secondly, make sure no one steals their television set. He's there. He's house-sitting. You know, I love house-sitting personally. It's like a mini vacation for myself. I'll house-sit at the drop of a hat. I love it. But um, it can also be super boring if you're not a pro at it like me. I've done a lot of house-sitting over the years. I love it. But he's not a pro like me. He's not a pro like me. He gets bored pretty quickly. One day he gets off work and he goes back to his parents' house and he's like, what do I do? What do I do? And there's different levels of boredom. But this might be the lowest level of boredom possible. Outside of just sitting in the rain with your head back and your mouth open, this might be the second lowest form of boredom. He decides to watch some home movies. He decides to start watching some home movies. So he gets this big box of VHS tapes and puts one in. Starts playing. It's a video of him riding a bike. 
he's watching himself ride this bicycle, and he's like, way to go, younger me. But he gets bored. That'd be super boring to watch yourself ride a bike. So then he puts in a tape of a Christmas morning. Mom, look what I got. I got the TIE Fighter with Darth Vader action figure. That you did, Bobby. You were a good boy this year. Santa sure does love you. And Bobby's like, yay. And he's flying around with his TIE Fighter. That's pretty cool, right? Reliving that memory. Time to put in another video cassette, though. VCR starts playing this old tape. School play. The only thing cringier than being in a school play is watching one, and the only thing cringier than that is watching one 20 years later. I can't imagine watching any school plays I was in. And I was in, not many, um, I was the arms of the Grinch villain in, what? who's the one with the arms? <laughs> You're like, Jason, every Dr. Seuss story has arms in it. No, it was the one that Danny DeVito ended up, like, destroying the environment. They made a movie of it recently. Well, in the movie, in the book, where Danny DeVito is this little guy who wants to destroy the environment, there's a pair of arms. <laughs> there's a pair of arms in it, right? There's a pair of green arms that are like, ha, 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 ha. It was I who really wanted to destroy the environment, Danny DeVito. You were doing my bidding all along. You're like, Jason, no, that's clearly either a psychotic break or a Mandela effect. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, anyways, I remember I was a school play. I was the arms. I was off stage with these green arms, and I would stick them out on stage, and I would read the script. Ha 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 ha. Danny, I kept calling him Danny DeVito. People were like, what? The star of Taxi, why do you keep calling this character Danny DeVito? I go, you'll see. Give it 30 years. I can I can predict the future, but only only the future of Danny DeVito's career. I was the arms. I was the green arm guy. But anyways, cringy to watch it after the show. Cringier to watch it even 20 years later. But this guy is so bored that he's watching school. He's watching himself in school plays. Well, he grabs another tape, puts it in the VCR, starts watching it, it's a video of his grandpa holding his older brother as a baby. He's not, he's not, it's not from last year. The grandpa's like bench pressing the older brother. <laughs> I told you I was stronger than you. It was a video of the grandpa holding his older brother as a baby. And the grandpa's like, oh, look at you. Some, someday I'm going to bench press you, but not today. He's holding the baby brother and Bobby's like, oh my God, this is so boring. What is going on? Why am I having such a hard time passing the time? Passing the time. This is incredibly boring. And then he's watching this video of his older brother as a baby. And the grandpa goes, aren't you a cute little baby? Bobby, you got your dad's eyes. You're so adorable, Bobby. And Bobby's ears kind of perk up and he's watching this video and the grandpa's holding this baby. And then he hears another voice in the video, someone going, oh, yeah, no, Bobby sure is a big boy, aren't you, Bobby? You're going to be a big, strong boy. And Bobby realizes two things in really quick succession. That's not his older brother. That's him as a baby. That's Bobby as a tiny little baby boy. And the boy in the video has two arms. 
He said the very next video he could find timeline-wise of himself was age three. He only had one arm now. And that's all the info we have. Like, again, this was a throwaway account. He does mention, should I ask my parents? Like, where do I take this? I clearly had two arms when I was born. But I've been told my entire life I've only had one. That there was a birth defect and I only had one arm. But I see proof. I see proof that that's not true. I see myself as an infant with two arms. So what do I do with this information? Do I ask my parents? Do I confront them? When they deny it, do I show them the video? What do I do? Now at this point, you figure he's an adult because he's not living with his parents. He's house-sitting for them. He has another residence and he's house-sitting for them. So. Maybe he's in college. He has work. He doesn't mention going to school. So it's possible that this guy is in his mid-20s, early 30s even. So whatever story he'd been told, he'd been told it for decades. And he 100% believed that I was only born with one arm. But why is there a video of a baby that they're calling him by his name? Not his older brother's name. They're calling this baby by his name, Bobby. The baby has two arms. What do I do with that information? This is a super interesting story. It could be creepypasta. It could be a short story that someone is writing in this type of medium. But it's also possible that families keep secrets. I know dozens of family secrets. Not just my own, but those of my friends. Because I'm good at keeping secrets. And that's a reputation you only earn over time. And that's a reputation you can end very, very quickly. I don't gossip. And friends of mine can tell that I don't gossip. I've never walked up to Josh and say, hey, you want to hear something that somebody told me that they told me never to tell anyone? Josh is like, because uh. he would know if I told, he probably wouldn't want to hear that, but he would know if I told him that he would never trust me with another secret. And I know all your secrets, Josh. I know tons of secrets. I know tons of secrets because I keep my mouth shut. And families keep secrets. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that something happened to this boy between birth and age three that the family decided not to tell him about. Some people responded to this and they said, it's possible that the story is half true. Not the, not the narrative, but the fact that they go. there are medical conditions where you can be born with two arms, but then there is a deformity inside the arm where they did have to remove it. It wasn't going to continue to function. It might have had something wrong with it. It might have had something that would be life-threatening. So the story is half true. You were only born with one arm, technically only one working arm, or only one viable arm. You saw that theory pop up a bit. But this baby looked like it had two healthy arms. He actually thought it was his older brother when he first saw the video wasn't like one of the arms was gangrene or anything like that. But, I mean, maybe it was internal, right? It's a possibility that they were telling half the truth, that the arm wouldn't have survived if they left it on there. It would cause more complications, so they had it removed. It's possible. And I know, again, because of family secrets that I know from my own family and from other people's families, 
that at a certain point you make a decision, I'm just never going to tell them. Like, it's a secret you keep from them as a kid. And then they get a little bit older and you go, oh, you know, I'll tell it when, you know, they're a teenager. I'll tell them about it. Tell them when they're 18, when they're an adult and the next time. You know what? I'll tell them when they have a family of their own. But at that point, I mean, what's the point of even telling them, right? But we don't know how the story wrapped up. We don't know if he ever talked to his parents. You would want, like in my in my case, had that happened to me, if I only had one arm, <laughs> I wasn't allowed to be the green arm guy. They're like, Jason, you're a really good actor, but this part requires two arms. And then I found out that I was used to have two arms. I probably, I don't know what I would do, because at, at the end of the day, if you ask your parents, if you confront them with this, whether or not the answer is, well, you were born with a bad arm and we had to do these procedures and you weren't going to have it for long anyway, so we had it amputated. Or you had a horrible accident and it was amputated. Or they go, what? You only have one arm. And they pretend like you always had two arms until just now. And you're asking the question, it becomes an even bigger lie. That's the thing. Like, at the end of the day, the confrontation's going to be, you lied to me for decades about something so intensely personal. And it's not like it changed his life. It's not like he would have lived his life any differently if he was born without an arm or if he lost an arm. I mean, maybe if... It, the only thing I can think of, if it was removed by some sort of violent altercation, like his older brother accidentally chopped his arm up, his older brother pushed him into a lawnmower or something like that, and it would cause him to resent a family member. An uncle was swinging him around by his arms and one of the arms came off. You know how strong your uncle is. It would cause resentment. That's the only thing I can think of. Like, if it was a procedure, if it was something like, yes, yeah, son, you know, you were born... Because kids would obviously ask, why am I different than the other kids? And you can go, well, you were born with two arms, but then one of them had some issues with it, so we had to have it removed when you were a kid. You don't remember that. That's one thing. Like, you could actually have that. The only reason why I think they would cover it up is if they feared that he would be angry at the person who accidentally or on purpose damaged his arm enough that required it to be removed. But it's a creepy story because at the end of the day, he now knows something. He now knows a deep truth that has been hidden from him for a very, very long time. A intensely personal truth about himself. He was born with two arms, but he lost one. And he doesn't even know how. He doesn't even know how he lost his arm. But it's more than that. It's not just that he lost the arm. It's the fact that his entire family lied to him about it. Fascinating story. I'd hate to be in that guy's shoes, obviously, because you would learn a lot about your family, all because you grabbed a box of video cassettes and started putting them in one bored afternoon. Christian, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the world-famous carpenter copter. We are leaving behind this house. Take us all the way out to California. California. It's the land of surf, sun, and celebrities. I heard that you also might be able to catch a glimpse of, <laughs> catch a glimpse of a green-armed boy. A green-armed elementary school student preparing for his play. If you were in, if you were somewhere in the state of California in the late 80s, I guess it would have been in uh, the Bay Area at that point. So maybe you could have gotten a green-armed autograph if you'd been thinking, thinking ahead. But we're not here to time travel. We're not here to meet elementary school Jason. 
we're here to talk about, whoa, oh no, dude, all of a sudden, everything starts shaking. Whoa, dude, we're in the middle of an earthquake, we're in the middle of an earthquake, and we got bit by a surfer, now we have become a surfer, totally not tubular, man, the San Andreas Fault has become active. This is the big one. This is the earthquake everyone was afraid of in California. Whoa, no way, dude. Watch out for that building and stuff. And we're running through the streets of the Bay Area and people are falling out of windows. Ah, and then like cars are getting all crazy. That guy was drunk. That guy was a drunk driver. He doesn't even know it's an earthquake. He's running over a bunch of people. We're like, watch out. And we see like the Golden Gate Bridge like swinging back and forth and people are getting flung off of it. We're like, no, it's the big one. This is the earthquake we're always worried about. And all of a sudden, the entire city of San Francisco breaks off and begins to plummet downwards. And we're immediately thrown to the ground, not because we're ducking and covering. We're actually being held down by the gravitational pull of the entire city of San Francisco as it plummets towards the center of the Earth. Now, this is something we were never taught in earthquake class. We were taught that the ground's going to shake for a couple seconds, maybe a minute, which would be the worst, that it's like the biggest earthquake. And then you're then you find out if you're dead or alive. We weren't told that the entire city could actually break off and begin to fall. But that's what's happening right now. We find ourselves in a massive pit inside the earth. The city of San Francisco is no more. It's just dust, rubble, and bodies as far as the eye can see. But we're not looking around anymore. We're looking up and we can see sunlight coming in through that mile-wide hole and the waters of the bay begin to pour over the edges of this massive gap. And we look up as tons of water are headed straight towards us. So water's coming towards us. We figure, well, this is the end. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my podcast. Thanks for traveling with me to San Francisco on this particular day. We think that it's over. We definitely know it's over for us. We're about to get drowned and or crushed at the same time. But then we hear another rumbling. And that's when we realize it's not the it's not just the city of San Francisco that broke off and plummeted into a massive cave system. The entire West Coast is about to break off and sink into the catacombs. This is a theory put forth by an unnamed high-ranking naval officer, which kind of makes sense, right? If you're going to be anonymous, you're like, by the way, I'm also president of the United States. They're like, what? You're not the president of the United States. That's what they've been saying, but they just need to count those votes more. If I was going to pretend to be anyone, if I was a naval officer and I'm like a lieutenant, I would be like, by the way, I'm, I'm an admiral, I'm an admiral. But anyways, this unnamed naval officer, this high-ranking unnamed naval officer, tells a journalist for the Paranormal Magazine Search Magazine, this came out in their fall 1985 issue, that the San Andreas Fault is not real. 
The San Andreas Fault is not real. It's actually a cover story. The earthquakes are real that plague California, but it's not because of the San Andreas Fault. Just off the continental shelf out in the Pacific Ocean are access points, entrances, to a massive and seemingly unending network of caves. And these caves extend hundreds and hundreds of miles inland. To the point that if you went into these cave, these underwater caves, you would be underneath the state of California before you even reached the ending of these caves. And that's the issue. We don't even know how far these caves go. In fact, the Navy once sent a nuclear-powered sub into these caves because we were trying to map them. We're trying to map them. And the sub never came out. We lost all communication with them, and they never came out. So. They may have gotten lost and ran out of fuel. They may have crashed into something, had some sort of accident. For all we know, they got attacked by something under there. But a sub went in and never came out. And in fact, the unnamed source said, if I told you the name of the submarine, you would know it. You're like, Red October? That's the only submarine I know. He goes, you would know the name of the submarine if I told you that, but I'm not going to tell you the name of it. The naval officer goes on to say, There is proof that there are these massive tunnels underneath the state of California, that it's not as firm as people say it is. In the city of Long Beach, when they began drilling oil, pumping oil out of the surrounding areas of Long Beach, the city sank. The city of Long Beach actually sank nearly 26 feet into an existing pit before they stopped pumping the oil. They had to stop pumping the oil because not only was it causing the city of Long Beach to destroy itself, it would also reveal the fact that there's nothing underneath a fairly thin crust, geologically speaking, a fairly thin crust running throughout the state of California and possibly up to Canada. They haven't fully been able to explore all of these tunnels. They know there's a ton of them under California, but because they can't, go all the way through them, it may go through Oregon and Washington as well, and possibly even further. Super interesting story. Super interesting story. It kind of is in the middle of a full-on hollow earth type of story. But there's no mention of, like, advanced civilizations or a submarine found a chamber full of a thousand royal coffins, which I like those stories. Don't get me wrong. I like those stories, but this story is kind of in between those. It has no mention of any of the normally bizarre and Atlantean level societies that we see in hollow earth type stories. It just is, there's tunnels under there and we don't know what's in there. We've tried exploring them. We actually lost the sub. We don't know how long they are. And then the city of Long Beach actually began to sink into one of these chambers and they stopped pumping oil. Super interesting. I really wanted to verify this story. So I started looking around and you can find that article posted almost verbatim a a couple different places. So that really wasn't helping me fact check it. It was just repeating the same thing. I eventually... So I knew that it was published in the fall issue of Search Magazine for the year 1985. Eventually, doing some more research, I found out Search Magazine was from the same publisher as Fate Magazine. And Fate Magazine, especially in the early days, has a really bad reputation. Fate Magazine was one of the... I I don't know if it was the first, but it was definitely one of the biggest paranormal magazines. Came out of the 50s. 
It continues today. I believe it's been a long time since I've read an issue, but Fate Magazine, if you had a Venn diagram of Fate Magazine journalists and science fiction authors, it's almost just a circle. Like, you do have, especially in the early issues, they published a lot of very fantastical stuff. When I say fantastical, I mean it was made up by a science fiction author. And I think over time, new editors have been like, no, 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 let's actually make this a serious investigation of the world of the paranormal. So that is Search Magazine's lineage, right? Search Magazine came from that same publisher. But it's interesting. I found the story. I go, let's see what we can fact check on it. Because there's a couple key details. Long Beach sinking. True. True. The article actually underestimated it. Turns out that the city of Long Beach actually sank 29 feet. 29 feet because they were pumping oil. They don't say it's because there are these massive unmapped tunnels underneath California. They say it's caused by something called subsidence. And basically, the city of Long Beach is built on soft sediment that hasn't been there for millions and millions of years. So it hasn't really created a hard crust like the rest of the world. It's almost sitting on soil and then oil. So they were pumping oil and the city was sinking and how they fixed that. Because like buildings were cracking, the road was breaking, bridges were snapping. The way they, because they're still pumping oil. They haven't stopped pumping oil. Now when they pump oil, they have to replace it with water. They have to keep that buoyancy underneath the soil. So that fact check drew on that one. The city of Long Beach actually did fall apart. The other thing we could fact check on, nuclear sub goes missing. And he said it would be a sub that you would recognize. Now, that would be something of the time, right? Nowadays, I don't think most people can name a nuclear sub. I couldn't. Red October, right? Well, apparently, back in 1963, there was the USS Thresher. It was a nuclear sub that went missing. They eventually found it, though. It sunk off the coast of Massachusetts. So... literally about as far from the West Coast you can get. He could have been referring to that nuclear sub. But then I found, this is so interesting, I'm I'm looking at the story, I go, this is pretty cool, but I want to find more details. Then I found something that not only did the Search Magazine article just completely gloss over, but the world of the paranormal, I've never heard this story before. This is so weird. And sure, it could be total coincidence, But especially in light to last Friday's episode when I talked about is Congress just investigating UFOs to kind of steal money from taxpayers and give it to other projects that they don't want to say that they run. They want to move more coke from South America to L.A., turn it into crack. Let's not make the money traceable. We'll say we're investigating UFOs. We'll really give it to the CIA, right? It would be a perfect way to move money around. But then let's take a look at this. This is so interesting. I'm surprised this isn't bigger a bigger conspiracy theory. Talking about submarines missing, I found this. And this is well known among like nautical heads, right? Boat boys is what they call themselves. January 25th, 1968. The INS Dakar, an Israeli submarine, disappears off the coast of Crete. So it's floating around the Mediterranean disappears. 
No one has any idea why they can't get a hold of the Dakar. Two days later, two days later, January 27th, 1968, the French submarine Minerva goes missing off the coast of France. The Navy has lost all communication with the submarine. It's gone. March 8th, 1968. Soviet submarine K-129 goes missing. May 22nd, 1968. The USS Scorpion, a nuclear-powered U.S. submarine, goes missing. This is a 100% true story. 100% true story. You have four submarines from four different countries go missing in a five-month period in 1968. They do eventually find all of these submarines. K-129 is found in August of that year. The Scorpion is found in October of that year. The Dakar is not located until the year 2000. And the Minerva isn't found until 2019. Now, some of them were in the general location of where they believed that they went down. And I think that was the, the, the French submarine they found in the Gulf of Lyon. But a lot of them were hundreds of kilometers away from any search party. When they found these submarines, obviously they wanted to know what happened. To this day, there is no confirmed reason of why four submarines all sank in a five-month period. There is, you can look and there's a dozen theories for each individual submarine. Maybe it was this, maybe it was that, maybe it was this, maybe it was that. Because now they can have divers go in there. They have photographs of these. They can see where they've broken apart some of these submarines. But they don't know why. Was it an accident? Some of them, they think it was an attack. You have to think at the very first, when the Israeli submarine went down, you'd think sabotage. And when the French submarine went down, you'd think, is it the Soviets attacking the West? But when the Soviet submarine goes down and the U.S. submarine goes down, now you realize four countries have all lost their submarine in a five-month period. And the U.S. submarine, the nuclear-powered submarine, is still down there with its full nuclear-powered engine and full complement of nuclear warheads on it. It hasn't been moved. It's just down there. But even after all these years of study... They don't know what caused these explosions. They don't even know if it was an explosion, right? They don't know why all four of these summer. This has never happened since. There has not been a time in any year, really before or after 1968, where you had four submarines go down in a year. Generally, it's huge news when a submarine sinks. If it's not a some sort of top secret sub. Remember the Kursk, that Soviet, I think it was Russian, to fall of the Soviet Union at that point, but that Russian sub, the Kursk, sank. It had like 110 people on board, maybe more. And it was international news for like a week because they were trying to save those men. And that brings us to where we're back with this story, because while we can't say that the USS Scorpion was lost in this cave underneath California, that's 
when the unnamed officer said it would be a sub you would know of, it was very famous disasters. It was mysteries, right? What happened to the Thresher? What happened to the Scorpion? Those would be the two nuclear-powered subs that he could have been referring to. But there was talk of what happened with the Kursk was it ran into something. That there was something underwater, some sort of other vehicle that it crashed into. And that's why it was stuck down there. Because everyone perished. They weren't able to get the sub up in time. I, If memory serves me correctly, I think they eventually did retrieve the bodies. I could be wrong on that detail. But the idea was that it crashed into something. That's what the conspiracy sphere was talking about. I remember the Americans wanted to go out. The American government wanted to go out and help with the recovery efforts. They said, listen, we have some of the best sub-retrieval technology available. We invented it. And the Russians said, no, we don't want your help. And a lot of people have blamed the Russian government's reluctance to let the U.S. government go out and help with this sub-recovery with the deaths of some of the, well, really, these young men, right? You also, we also, I'm, listen, I'm not an idiot either. The government, the U.S. government wanted to go out there and help raise the submarine, and they would have taken a billion photographs and had a dude going, nyet! And pretending to be Russian and sneaking in on the sub. Like, 100%, it was a humanitarian mission and a spy mission at the same time. I'm not an idiot, right? We wanted to get photographs and measurements and all that stuff. But in the conspiracy sphere, and I'll see if I can find some links, because again, this would have been a long time ago. Conspiracy websites, so they always disappear, forums get wiped every once in a while, but... The idea was is that the Kursk was actually following a USO or an unidentified submerged object. It was tracking an alien vehicle. And it crashed into it. Like, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong on this again. It's been, oh, I mean, almost an entire decade, a decade and a half since I looked into it. But I think there was, like, track marks at the bottom of the floorbed. But anyways, it crashed into something. It's so interesting because on the episode I did on Friday, and you don't have to listen to it, but I'll put it in the show notes. The episode that I did on Friday, I said the government's specifically looking at, the U.S. government specifically in this congressional body that they formed to investigate UFOs, for lack of a better term. They believe they have a better term, the UAPs, but they're specifically looking at things called transmedium objects, which are things that can go from the ocean to the sky to space. And I said on the show, I go, that's so rare. Why would you be investigating something that is one of the smallest amounts of UFO sightings? Most of them are lights in the sky. Most of them are things within our atmosphere that are then going at incredible speeds in out of our atmosphere. Investigate those. They're picking such a specific thing to look at. And I said, well, that way, when they can't find anything, they can go, well, we didn't find anything. But they still took all of our money for years and years and years to fund these other projects they really wanted to fund off the books. That was kind of what my theory was. But it's possible that while we don't see, and I kind of addressed this on that episode as well, while while the public doesn't see a lot of USOs or these transmedium objects, because we don't spend a lot of time in the ocean. This could be something that the Navy is routinely dealing with. This things shooting up out of the water. We do have reports of them. They're just so rare. Things shooting out of the water or things flying through the sky and going into the water. Even drones. Drones can't do that. Unless there's some super top secret drone. 
I know we have drone boats or drone subs and things like that, but being able to go from the sky into the water and then out of the water into the sky, that's, that is technology we don't have. And I thought, what if this was an early encounter between U.S. militaries and transmedium objects? It took out four subs in five months. Like, this would be a way that you would alert people to your presence. If one sub went down, tragic accident. If one sub went down every two or three years, and one was from Israel, one was from France, and one was from Soviet Union, one was from U.S., Tragic accidents. But four subs from four countries in five months, that's a trend. And so interesting. I'm surprised I never heard about that before. They did find all the subs, but we still don't know what happened to them. And the fact that we had all these subs blow up or die or just fall apart within a five-month period, that's, that's extremely suspicious. That's definitely should be in the realm of the paranormal. It doesn't prove the tunnels underneath California theory, which is it's an interesting theory. But it raises a whole other set of questions, like what was happening in early 1968. And I'll say this, I'll say this. The other day, Atomic Bean on YouTube, because I still read the YouTube comments, we still have a discussion there. Atomic Bean on the YouTube channel said, I think that there is an agenda against the theory of ultra-terrestrials. That's the idea that aliens are coming from other dimensions. Atomic Bean goes, I actually think, because that theory gets dismissed so quickly, I feel like... There's an agenda behind it. Ultra-terrestrials, the idea that aliens are coming from another reality, explains so many things about aliens. It explains why their ships just appear out of nowhere. It explains why they can just start walking around in your bedroom. It explains how they travel such large distances because they're not. They're literally a universe away. Not scale-wise, but the wall between their world and ours is thin. As opposed to if they're coming from Zeta Reticuli, we know how far away that is. So then we have to do the math and invent technology to say, well, to get from Zeta Reticuli to come here would be X many light years. But that takes too long. So we're going to invent faster than light travel, even though that we have to jump through hoops for extraterrestrials. Ultra-terrestrials make more sense. My belief is, and I think this is, it's not a conspiracy, it's just super basic, If the very first UFO novels, if War of the Worlds took place, not from aliens coming from Mars, but if it had been started off saying there was an alien creature in a reality just like our own, and they just appeared one day with these giant machines, and then the kids who were inspired by that book, when they're writing Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon doesn't have a rocket ship, he's not flying around space, he has a device that allows him to shift to the reality of the aliens. In each movie he or each radio play, he would shift to another world. And then in Star Trek, they don't have a ship that they're flying around going to other planets. So they get in a device and they shift to an alien world. And we're here to make contact. And all of that stuff. That's the reason why we believe in aliens, because our media says that. If War of the Worlds and Star Trek and Star Wars and Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and all this stuff was about shifting to other dimensions to find aliens and beat them up or make love to them, the minority of people would believe, no, I think there are aliens actually on another planet. Because mainstream culture would say, no, they're from another reality. And you'd have people go, you know, I bet you that UFO is, so I bet you that came from some planet way off there people would laugh at you this or they just wouldn't understand because media would have set them up to believe in ultra terrestrials now there could have been an agenda behind that that could have been created for a reason 
But that's why. That That's honestly why. We take what we get from the media. And if War of the Worlds was the same book, but they came from a sliver of reality into our own, we it would the narrative would be different. But extraterrestrials, it's debatable whether or not they exist. Most people at this point say they do, but are they coming here? It's debatable. Ultra-terrestrials really takes a lot of brain power because, again, that's not the story that we've been fed since we were kids. We've been told that aliens can travel light years within a split second. But coming from another universe, what are you talking about? That's too weird. But the scariest of them all isn't the extraterrestrials. It isn't the ultra-terrestrials. It's the terrestrials. And I don't mean that as man is the worst monster of all. No, I'm not saying that. It would be the worst outcome for all of us. For governments and religions and just people walking around living their lives. If it turns out that every unidentified object we've seen in the sky, every alien abduction story, everything you know about UFOs and aliens are not from another planet, but they're from Earth. And they actually evolved alongside of us. That would be the absolute worst. That would that would collapse thing. We always talk about, well, if aliens came down, the people won't believe in religion anymore. No, it wouldn't happen. If aliens came down, people would be rushing for their religion to explain the existence of aliens. And then people would just accept that. If an alien ship came down, there is nothing really in the scripture, at least in, in the Bible, that says aliens don't exist. There is no comment where they ever say aliens don't exist. You can all of a sudden start reinterpreting stuff when you say he created the world. Well, what that really means is he created reality, and that means there could be other aliens. The Catholic Church has already admitted that there are aliens out there, and it, it works with their faith. So that wouldn't change anything. It, it would probably have some economic... There would be societal shock. There would be uh, shock among the world leaders that now there is a super powerful force floating above us. But they would be alien to us. You might be able to unite humanity against it. The worst would be if they were here all along. And we thought we were the top of the food chain. We thought we were the masters of the planet. And we weren't. If aliens come out of the sky, yeah, it's totally awesome. Or totally terrifying, depending on what type of aliens they are. But if they are actual natives to this planet, not coming from another dimension, not coming from another planet 10,000 years ago, anything like that, they actually are native to this planet, then it was all a charade. It would be the same thing if you have a cat and the cat goes, this is my house and this family is here to feed me and to let me in when I want to come in. But all the humans know that the cat is not in charge. We let the cat pretend it's in charge. And the cat may wonder why certain things don't make sense from time to time. Like, they'll be like, wait a second, I don't like this food. I'm not eating this food. How come they keep giving me this food? Don't they know that I'm in charge? I'm going to have to go to the neighbor's house and eat their food. Or I'm going to have to like start flipping over the dish so they 100% know I don't like this food. But can't they tell I don't like this food? But for the most part, the, the humans do indulge the cat. They pet it, they let it in and out when it needs to go in and out. They take care of it. But in this scenario, we're the cat. 
were the cat. And the aliens, the, the, that's not even the right term, the terrestrials that have been flying around in these vehicles that are beyond our understanding, that are abducting people out of houses, and we don't know how they do it. Like, I'm saying take everything you know about UFOlogy, everything you know, and that would make sense, too, why these aliens are always giving bad information, why they're always talking about coming from Mars and Venus, which we now know, well, definitely there's no life on Venus. It's because they're not going to be like, oh, no, we live down the street, dude. We've actually lived down the street longer than you. We're the cat. We think we're in charge. And the problem is, is that the cat learns it's not in charge when the cat misbehaves. You, you might spray a little water in its face. You might take a swing at it. But when that cat misbehaves, it gets put in its place. And if it misbehaves too much, what do you do? You get rid of the cat. If they walked among us as man was evolving in the first place, they were evolving alongside of us, and we just took different branches. Instead of having a massive war every 50 years and burning down each other's libraries, they were united. That would be the scariest of all scenarios. That 100%, that would upset a lot of the social order. Because you can say religion doesn't say anything about aliens not existing on Gleepglork. But that's a pretty big omission if there's another sentient race on planet Earth and no religion ever mentioned it. Like, that's a pretty big omission. You could say, well, you know, when Jesus was talking to the apostles, he didn't really care what was going on 50,000 light years away. They got their own messiah. But it would be a huge omission if it turned out, oh, there's a sentient species numbering in 5 million that lives in these tunnels that crisscross throughout the world. But I'm not going to tell you about them, even though they're here. That would be a pretty big omission. So I don't know. I mean, again, I've always been fascinated by the idea of just aliens in general, but also ultra terrestrials. But I have been a proponent of not necessarily hollow Earth, but there are massive unexplored cave systems all throughout the world. And who knows what the caves are like underwater? All of the, all of the, this is getting too rambling now, but all of the problems we have about going deep into the ocean, it's the pressure of the water on any vehicles we have. But the caves that are, if you had a cave that you found in Massachusetts and that cave, you could follow it along and it took you underneath the Atlantic Ocean. You wouldn't worry about the water pressure at all. You would be able to fit an entire civilization in a cave, not a hollow earth, not where you're floating around the core and everyone's getting tans because of the molten core. That is dumb. That's not possible. But you could live between the crust and the mantle. You wouldn't even be you wouldn't even be there. You could live just under the crust. You could have a massive civilization just out of sight. And once you perfected the technology, you could zip around the Atlantic Ocean as much as you wanted. And if you weren't wiping out empires every hundred years and resetting the clock, you could have a very advanced civilization. And that would be the worst case. That would be something that the government would never reveal. They would reveal that aliens come from outer space, even if that wasn't true. Then ever admit that they'd been here 
alongside humans this entire time because it would be a mirror right we could go hey, how come we don't have that technology well maybe because we caused wars constantly it's a fascinating story that was a bit of a rant i didn't <laughs> I didn't mean to go off that much you're talking about submarines and talking about these tunnels i hope you enjoyed it i do think that that would be the, the i i i love the theory but that would be the scariest thing because it would it would be like looking at your twin brother who achieved everything you ever wanted in life. Everything. They have it and you don't. It would be the cruelest joke if it turns out this entire time we'd been looking up in the night sky wondering if we're alone when we never were. We were never alone, not for a moment. There was always a sentient race right next to us. And they were better than us in every single way. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one.